Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I have another host from that podcast network joining me as a guest host today while Matt Williamson is on vacation. Matt will be back if you're missing him. He'll be back Monday with me here, but we have your boy Q. You've heard him on the show recently. I love talking with Q, the host of Locked On Raiders. Q, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good, man. Appreciate you having me on the big stage today. I'm going to try to do my best not to mess things up. I know Matt's coming <laughs> back on Monday, but I got to hold down that spot in a, in a good spot while he's gone. Oh, man, we've had a great week. It's my turn to go on vacation, I think, uh, maybe later in the month, and we'll see who comes back with uh, with Matt Williamson. But I've had fun talking to all the hosts on the network. We have so many great people, so many good analysts, so many good hosts on the network. So it's really fun to talk with everybody, get everybody's perspective on what's going on in the league, because I know you get to talk a lot about the Raiders constantly, right? But it's kind of nice to to spread your wings a little bit and talk about the rest of the NFL. No, it really is, man. I love the NFL. I mean, I really, really do. I love talking about each and every team in the league. Of course, the Raiders are my bread and butter. But, man, just talking about the NFL, there's not a better league, in my opinion. There's not a better sport, in my opinion. And uh, just being able to talk about them, talk about the players, talking about getting the season going, talking about the coaches. I mean, there's so many different avenues you can go when you're talking the NFL. So, yeah, I, I love it every single day. love to do that. Better turn on my mic here. I'm a professional. By the way, you can find Q... On Twitter, at your boy Q254. So we've got to get into the latest news around the NFL. A lot of that coming from Washington, D.C. Uh, but first, there's some news that I, I think is good news. And it looks like the league is, I mean, they're going forward as scheduled. And this from Tom Pelissero from NFL.com saying, The Chiefs are telling players camp is a go with rookies and quarterbacks to report for COVID-19 testing Monday. Sources are telling both Tom and Ian Rappaport, I love how they give each other credit. And he said there's no agreement on outstanding issues between the NFL and NFLPA, which I think we should talk about, uh, but the team has the rights under the collective bargaining agreement to tell players to report, apparently. And it looks like rookies and quarterbacks can come to camp a week early, and we're, I mean, we're less than two weeks out now from training camp July 28th starting up for everybody. So this thing's a go, and at least that's good news. And, I mean, teams are telling players to show up. They're testing Monday. Yeah, they, they, they are. And the fact and the reason why they're doing that is because the Texans and the Chiefs, they play the very first game of the season. They're scheduled for that Thursday night opener. So they get to report a week earlier before uh, everybody else. And so, yeah, letting their rookies and their quarterbacks come to camp and get their COVID-19 testing. And, you know, a lot of work is not done uh, that very first week. It's a lot of conditioning stuff, but it's still football activities, Brian. And I think that's really, really important. Ever since COVID-19 has been going on, when everything shut down early March, uh, the NFL has been full steam ahead they haven't missed a beat they haven't uh missed the draft uh, even though it was held virtually i mean they keep going like a well-oiled machine and so i think that that's another sign that they plan on and we don't know i mean every day seems like it's a different story when it comes to COVID 19 yeah. but they plan on moving forward like everything is is a go as normal and that's the best sign if we're trying to do what we say each and every day try to get back to a sense of normalcy yeah we've been very lucky covering the NFL too and covering NFL teams because the NFL first of all never sleeps they've been able to do their whole offseason virtual which has been nice for us we've had stuff to talk about and it's looking like camp is going to get going and so we don't have to go through what the NBA did with a stoppage right in the middle hopefully hopefully there are no stoppages once it gets started and uh, with Major League Baseball you know with their fight their entanglement that's the word of the week their entanglement that they they were going through trying to get things ready for the season and collective bargaining and all of that so hopefully 
the NFL has an opportunity to to watch these leagues, learn from these leagues this summer, and not have those same hiccups. So that's the hope for forty or for. I'm in Locked On 49ers mode right now. I just finished recording this episode of Locked On 49ers. For 49ers fans, Raiders fans, and NFL fans alike, hopefully that stays the course. Yeah, it, it, I mean, that's what that's the best case scenario. You know, I mean, that's that's what everybody who's an NFL fan, that's anybody that's a sports fan would love to see because, again, you want to be able to see this sport go on without a hitch. And uh, I think every week is going to be, okay, you just uh, overcame another week. And I think it's going to be a lot of up and down and a lot of uncertainty, but – Again, the NFL is, is uh, you know, going ahead, moving forward like they have a good plan in place to be able to keep the players as safe as possible and try to get an NFL season in. And I think that this country needs an NFL season. I mean, they need sports in general, but they really, really could benefit from an NFL season if they're able to get that thing going like it looks like they're trying to do. That's the good news. The bad news in the NFL and a lot of it coming from the East Coast, coming from the D.C. area and the team in Washington that is right now unnamed. And now they have even bigger problems from a huge story that was rumored to break yesterday. It came out in the Washington Post about um, major sexual harassment and the, the rumors are that it was going to be even worse with drugs and all kinds of other stuff. And I have a feeling there's going to be more stories to come out of there. I know there's lawyers involved with this story. So maybe there's some stuff that has been suppressed so far that we will hear later. But man, uh, it, it's just what I'm hearing coming out of Washington. I just I don't know how long Dan Snyder can own that team because everything is just bad. And it's just such a poorly run organization from the top down. It really is. And if everything is as bad as it sounds and, and it looks, then, yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for a guy like Daniel Snyder to survive it. But at the same time, we just don't know. You know, what I mean, we don't know exactly what's going on. I know that the speculation is out there. Like you said, it's really, really dark and it's really, really ugly. Uh, I, I've, I've seen the report from The Washington Post about the teen women that feel like they were sexually harassed and they're making statements on that. And that's really what the, the story is around. But like you said, man, drugs, you know, even possible like drug trafficking and, 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 uh, you know, prostitution type. I mean, it can really get ugly. I don't know how much of that is truth. And I think we all have to wait on that and, and see, but, but, you know, when I look at that team in Washington, the football team in Washington, I don't feel bad for Dan Snyder. I don't feel bad for anyone in the front office. I feel awful for Ron Rivera. I really, really feel awful for the guy who stepped into a place, tried to change the culture, wanted to be a head coach, wanted to get this team that went 3-13 and in 2019 and improve that team, make them competitive in the NFC East. And now he's dealing with name changes. He's dealing with terrible culture. He's dealing with, you know what I mean, with uh, sexual harassment. Yeah. I mean, he's dealing with way more than I think he signed up for. And so I feel bad for that guy who, again, I feel like he just took that job to change the culture on the field and to get them back to a respectable organization. And right now, that's not what they are. And all the stuff that's rumored in Washington is, I mean, that stuff, I don't really want to comment on it because we haven't really had any solid sourcing on that right. yet. It, it seems to be there's something there, but just what's been reported is bad enough. And it's like, oh my gosh, I like there's more to this. It's so bad already. And, and the, the way the cheerleaders have said, and, and this story's been around for a couple of years, that they felt like they were yeah. getting pimped out and, you know, topless shoots and, and they were bringing, uh, they were bringing people in to watch, I mean, like pressured into all kinds of stuff. It's just a terrible situation. And I, I can't stand hearing any of it. And at some point you got to say, okay, sorry, dude, like you have to, you have to meet a certain standard, I think, to be involved in the NFL and Washington's franchise has not done that. So, 
don't even let this group name the team. Give it to a new group. Start it fresh. New name. New ownership. Let's go. It's one of those scenarios where you just hope it's kind of not true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. honestly, I hope that it's not really as bad as it sounds. And it sounds really bad and ugly and dark, like you mentioned. Uh, again, we don't have the substantial uh, evidence and we don't know everything. But just from everything that I've read and, and heard, and again, it's just at this point speculation. So I don't want to just bring uh, bring down the hammer on the situation. But, man, this is, is, is really, really bad. We remember what happened with uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, when he got caught up in the in the massage parlor. That's one thing. But. What's going on in D.C. or what's at least talked about going on in D.C. with the 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 Washington football team and and what's possibly going on with the owner? I mean, geez, man. I mean, it's really, really ugly. And like I said, I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better. So at some point, I kind of just hope that maybe the story is not really all that everyone thinks it's going to be. And maybe it's kind of being overblown. But we'll see sooner rather than later, I'm sure. His own co-owners don't want Dan Snyder involved anymore. Right. I don't think anybody in the league does. There's no fans out there, including uh, Washington fans themselves. They, like They want the story to be as bad as it can so they can get Dan Snyder out of there. They want everything to come out, which is crazy. So um, I, I think that's the end game to all of this. We'll see what happens. The season's about to start, um, and, and I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. More stories to come out of Washington. One thing you mentioned about that is the new coach in Ron Rivera. I want to get to Ron Rivera's comments on the situation next. I want to talk uh, NFL PA and get some of your thoughts there because I know you have them on this season getting started. And of course, since you are the host of Locked on Raiders, let's talk Las Vegas. Ooh, I did it. I was always going to almost said Oakland. Let's talk Las Vegas Raiders in 2020. Coming up with your boy Q. Ron Rivera might be uniquely qualified and I do feel bad for him that he's in this situation, but he went through the Jerry Richardson stuff in the Carolina Panthers organization, and now he's here. He might be the one guy that can actually handle this. So I'm kind of glad that he's the coach that's on the scene right now in Washington. And you mentioned he's the guy that you bring in to try to change a culture. So maybe they did accidentally get that right. His statement on this situation, I think it's pretty telling that we're hearing a statement from Ron Rivera and not Dan Snyder, by the way. But Ron Rivera's statement reads like this quote biggest thing is that we have to move forward from this and make sure everybody understands we have policies that we will follow and that we have an open door policy with no retribution plus my daughter works for the team and I sure as hell am not going to allow any of this exclamation point Dan Snyder brought me here to change culture and create an environment of inclusion among employees I believe that everyone that works for this franchise has a vested interest in our success End quote. What are your thoughts on, uh, first of all, it being Ron Rivera making a statement and not Dan Snyder? I mean, that's really just getting out there in front of it as far as Ron Rivera is concerned. And, you know, good big us for him to do that. But I, I kind of feel like Dan Snyder, you know, pushed him out there and gave him to the wolves, you know. But I think Ron Rivera uh, did a good job of being able to overcome it. Like, I feel like his owner put him in a bad position, making him have to make the statement. But the way that he chose his words and the words that he used, I think was spot on. I think he did a great job with that. And I don't know if that was the plan or Dan Snyder just said, hey, you make the statement. It's not going to be me. And then Ron Rivera, as a pro, like you mentioned earlier, had to deal with the Jerry Richardson situation. So maybe he was already kind of accustomed and used to the situation and, and dealt with it. But man, uh, again, I just I, I, I go back to what I said in, in segment number one about 
I just feel bad for the guy, man. I mean, this is a really good head coach, in my opinion. Uh, he got the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. No, they didn't win. Uh, you know, he's I know he's not the end all be all as far as head coaches, but I think he's he's pretty stinking good. Uh, I always respected his teams and I thought his teams were very respectable in the league. And I just feel like, man, all of a sudden he took on this project in D.C. that really might be a little bit too much for anyone to handle. You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. I feel like there was way other there were way many jo- more jobs that he probably could have taken besides that one. That would have been a lot better suited for him where he can go in there and be the football coach. And okay, you could take a team that's not very good because normally teams that aren't very good are the ones that are looking for head coaches. Take that team and make them better and and install your principles into it and your principalities into it and and make them respectable and really good and not have to deal with all the outside noise. Man, this guy is trying to rebrand a team that's been around for years. I mean, are you serious? Like, that's not that's not what I signed up for. And that's what I would say if I was if I was Ron Rivera. But Sounds like he's up for the challenge. He's going to go ahead and take it head on. He's going to, you know, challenge it and do the best he can. And uh, I respect him for that. But, man, I don't believe that's what he signed up for. Yeah, you got to believe that Ron Rivera, if Washington was was hiring a head coach right now after all of this coming out, would he even take that phone call from Dan Snyder? Would he want his daughter working in that environment, right? So uh, I think that was the most poignant part of his statement was talking about, yeah, my daughter works here, so that ain't going to fly. Right. Exactly. It's It's... It's really, really strange, man. Like I said, there was multiple jobs that were out there uh, when he ended up taking that job in in uh, in D.C. And, uh, you know, hopefully for his sake, man, he's able to get that thing turned around because at the end of the day, I would hate for that to be uh, a black eye or a blemish on his on his career or on his, you know what I mean, on his resume because I think he's a stand-up dude. He's one of the better guys in the league, I believe. And, you know, just to have that stain that is a franchise that's been, like you said, um, you know, underwhelming. Uh, the culture's been bad for quite a while. Uh, there's just a lot of things that go on. Obviously, the team name, it was something that had been uh, asked many, many years ago to change, and they never changed it. They only decided to make that move once, you know, once money was involved and sponsors started to pull out. They got minority owners that don't even want to be spon- the be, be owners anymore. They're, I mean, they're asking to sell their shares in the team. You know what I mean? Like they fired guys. Their longtime broadcaster just left. He's like, I'm retiring. There's guys that don't want to be there. That what does that tell you about your organization when guys just don't want to be there anymore? Oh yeah, uh, was it Larry Michael, the broadcaster, was yeah. a big part of that yeah. Washington Post story? Just hearing some really gross, uh, scummy things coming out of, of that building. Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, Redskins wide receiver, uh, no, no longer the Redskins. That's what's in the report from Ian Rappaport here. And I was just reading it and I was like, God dang it. It got me. Um, the Washington football team's wide receiver lost him for the year. Kelvin Harmon, second year wide receiver, who I think was going to be a pretty nice starter next to Terry McLaurin there. Torres ACL. He's gone for the season now. So um, I thought he was going to be a very good player. His eyes are on the 2021 season. So 100% bad news now coming out of Washington, including losing players for the season two torn ACLs. Uh, I want to backtrack a little bit, Q, to the story from Tom Pelissero about um, the Chiefs and Texans reporting to camp and starting to test some players Monday. The second part that he kind of snuck into this tweet, there's no agreement on outstanding issues between the NFL and NFL PA. One of the big differences between Major League Baseball and the NFL is that the Major League Baseball players unions a lot stronger. So uh, things like this can't happen where under the collective bargaining agreement, the teams can still say, all right, guys, you know, go ahead and show up and we're just going to figure out this other stuff on the side. In baseball, it's like, nope, nobody's showing up to nothing. We're going to we're going to take this as, as and draw it out as long as possible. I think 
one bright side to the NFL PA versus the owners in, in trying to collectively bargain any uh, preseason games or anything else this year. Um, it just doesn't seem like it's set up to be such a prolonged problem like it was for Major League Baseball. It doesn't. It, it really doesn't. It seems like they're going to be able to come to an agreement, you know, way easier than uh, Major League Baseball. And maybe they took a, a page out of Major League Baseball not to do all their negotiations through the media. Uh, that was one terrible look for Major League Baseball, the owners and the players. But either way, I, I think that the NFL will be able to come to an agreement with the Players Association, but it's going to be a give or take, you know, and I know right now the players and the Players Association say no preseason games. I know the owners say two preseason games. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into play. I was listening to J.C. Treader. He's the, the NFLPA president. He was saying that there's no reason to put these guys in risk and play games that don't matter, uh, and I understand that and, and, and don't disagree with them at all except for the fact that, well, when the football season comes around, I want to see players that, you know, ha are not going into it, going into battle for the very first time. You know, their their first trial run, their first test run during COVID-19, during this pandemic that we're dealing with that nobody's ever dealt with is in a game that matters. You know what I mean? So uh, for everything that they're saying as, as much as like, hey, play, uh, preseason games don't matter. I think everybody in the league, veterans, rookies, it doesn't matter how long you've been in, uh, involved in the NFL. You need to have a trial run just to figure out how you're going to get through what you got to get through. What are you going to do on the sidelines? Are you going to have these guys socially distanced? What is the face mask uh, situation like? Are you going to have these masks put out there by Oakley? Is it going to be comfortable? How are the players going to adapt? You don't want to have a soft opening on your grand opening. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to have that first test run, in my opinion. So I'm not too sure what the agreement's going to be. I know Tom Pelissero said uh, he, he felt like maybe it's going to end up being uh, they're going to split the middle and end up having one preseason game. And one is better than none, in my opinion. Uh, I know a lot of people will say preseason don't matter. I think they need at least one, especially this year, for every reason that I just pointed out. I could get down with one game. I, I I mean, I won't miss not having preseason games, even though I'm the type of guy, and I'm sure you are, Q, that you're you're watching the fourth quarter of preseason games that don't even involve the team you cover because you're trying to yes. learn the league and you care about all these young rookies. You want to see how everybody comes together. And yep. it's funny because people say that preseason games don't matter, but even with four preseason games every year, teams were still having even other scrimmages with other teams and, and bringing yep. referees in to come referee these scrimmages so they were playing more than four preseason games really and, and having you know playing other teams and so it, it means something you know and, and I, I think it's a great point you don't want the product to be awful you don't want to be having these dress rehearsals uh, in week one in September during the season so uh, I think you might have convinced me I, I, I all along thought yeah whatever scrap it who cares I want regular season football more than I want preseason football and I still feel like that but I could get down with one preseason game because I think these teams, young players, new players in new places, uh, they could use at least one test run just to get things going a little bit because I don't want to see super sloppy football in week one. And I'm sure the teams want to win and they want to have their stuff together a little bit more and be somewhat prepared. Yeah, I, I agree. And the thing about it is this is all new for everybody, officials included. You know, what I mean, it's not just, you know, rookies. That's normally it'd just be like, all right, well, the rookies are going to get some time to run in, in the preseason and then the veterans are all going to sit out. But this is such uncharted territory. You've got to have a little bit, at least a test run. You know, yeah. you got to have at least one test run. So that's why I think that one game would be fair. Uh, it, it's, it should be very interesting. You know, it's funny you said that uh, I, I'm sure that I'm monitoring 
you know, the fourth quarter of like preseason game number four. And, and, and I do, you know, I'm that guy that I'll watch every single one of them just because it's football action. And the one thing I'll say, and every Raider fan that you talk to could tell you about it. Derek Carr won the starting job with the Raiders in his rookie year in preseason game number four. It was against the Seattle Seahawks and he got the start. It was supposed to be, um, uh, well, who was the guy that was in Houston? I forgot who he was. Uh, I forget who it is now. Uh, was it Schaub? Um, Yes, it was supposed to be Matt Schaub's job, and Derek Carr started game four against the Seahawks, threw like four touchdown passes, and he won the job, and he hasn't turned, he hasn't looked back since. So games can be won, and starting positions can be won in the preseason games, even though nine times out of ten they don't matter. But this year, I think that at least one game is going to matter in a major way, just so you could kind of work out the kinks. Yeah, you know what? They need to test the protocols, probably. Go through a proper game week with everything else that's beyond yep. football, too. So that's a great point. All right, let's talk. You started talking about the uh, the Oakland Raiders. Gosh dang it. You started talking about the Las Vegas Raiders there. Uh, we should get into that. I'm interested to see your thoughts on how those Raiders will perform in their first year in Las Vegas in 2020. More Locked on NFL with your boy Q coming up. First of all, you have to have a stadium to play in. How's the stadium looking in Las Vegas? Has there been any hiccups or any kinks in getting that thing ready to go for the opening weekend? It doesn't look like it. It uh, it looks like it's supposed to be done on time. It's supposed to be done on July 31st, uh, which is about 14 days from now. And I think it's going to be done. I mean, everything I've seen, all the pictures, all the videos that have been taken, uh, it, it looks like it is it is good to go. Uh, I'll tell you what, man, that is a that is an awesome building. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any fans. I actually don't expect there to be any fans to enjoy it this year. But man, once fans get in there, they are really, really going to love that product. I do believe. I think that that stadium, the way it's built, it's built so it could be very intimate. It's not super high, so you're really far away from the action. I feel like all the seats are close enough where you're, like I said, right on top of it. And I, I think the design of it is great. It being black sitting out there in the desert is kind of awesome as well. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a really, really nice venue. And I, I think that the Raiders did well. Allegiant Stadium is going to be one of the better places in the in the league. You know, for years to come, it's going to be one of the better stadiums, uh, you know, and there's going to be some events. And, and, you know, you know, anytime you get a new stadium in the league, the, the NFL looks to hold, hold events there. So, uh, the Raiders, they were supposed to have the, the draft in Vegas in, in 2020. It didn't happen because of the pandemic, but there'll be a lot of NFL events, uh, events including the, the Pro Bowl in 2021, that will happen at Allegiant Stadium because it's such a nice place. For those folks that have never been to Las Vegas, every building you walk into, liquor store, whatever, has some a vehicle for gambling, some yes. you know slot machine or some screen, Kino at a restaurant, a little Kino screen in the corner, whatever. Is that going to be an element in the stadium or are they going to try to separate that completely and you're going to have to do all the gambling like on your phone or down the street? Well, I do believe that there's going to be elements of gambling there uh, allowed at the stadium. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but I've heard that from like club seats, you could do a lot of uh, placing some bets. And, and I just couldn't imagine, like you said, if you step foot anywhere in Vegas, you can make a bet. I would be shocked if there wasn't an element of of some kind of gambling in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, I even heard that there's a possibility of them having a sports book there. Now I, I can't I can't verify that, but I mean there's there's all kind of things that are going to happen and take place in that in that stadium. So I'm sure that there'll be an element of gambling involved there somewhere. I mean, for those folks who like to gamble, being in a seat watching the live event and then real time prop bets and you know betting yep. per quarter and I mean that would be an awesome atmosphere on its own. That that's going to be a unique stadium in the NFL to play football in, and especially if you can 
you know, I mean, I'm just I'm picturing like there being a screen and buttons on the back of the seat in front of you where you can place your bets right there, like literally in the seat. I think it's a possibility. You know, what I mean, I mean, what's not possible? You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, they can have some kiosks there where you can go play some bets. I mean, there's the sky's the limit. You know, and technology is so sharp now that you could do it. I mean, you could do so much from just your phone. Yeah, that's what true. do you think you'd be able to do into a major stadium like that with? all the Wi-Fi that they have. I mean, this stadium is built with almost the most like Wi-Fi capability in any stadium in the country. So uh, they're, they're built for success, or at least they're saying that they're built for success. They had the Royal flush. I thought that that was cool. They uh, flushed every toilet and had every, every uh, faucet running at the same time to make sure that uh, if, in the case that that <laughs> happened sometime at the stadium, it wouldn't be overloaded. And that passed the test. So once you do the Royal flush, I think you're good to go. Right, good. So plumbing's a hundred percent ready to go in Las Vegas. We'll see if any fans are in the seats. It looks pretty doubtful right now. Uh, yep. I want to talk about the team on the field real quick with you, Q. You mentioned Derek Carr there. How hard is he going to be pushed this year by Marcus Mariota? If he stumbles a little bit, could you see a quarterback change? You know, a lot of people think that, you know, Derek Carr, if he doesn't get off to a hot start, start he'll be benched by, you know, the bye week, which is week five. I don't see it. I, I, I really don't. And this is the reason why. Because with this pandemic, with the no OTAs, with the no mini camps and everything, I feel like a guy like Marcus Mariota is going to be behind the eight ball. And I know he's a veteran. I know he's been in the league. He could pick up an offense pretty quickly. But this is year three with Derek Carr and John Gruden together. I think Derek Carr is going to be there. He's going to be the guy. Uh, the Raiders are going to want him to be out there all the time. If he's out there, that means the team is being successful. I just think that it's not going to be easy for these guys to go in there and, and just take over when they haven't had a, a real deal offseason. You know, who knows what training camp is going to be like? We know it opens up in less than two weeks, but we don't know if it's going to be stop and go. We don't know what's going to happen. I think Marcus Mariota is there in case of emergency, break glass, similar to what Ryan Tannehill was in Tennessee last year. And eventually he took the job and, well, he ended up getting a big fat contract from that. And Marcus Mariota was sent on his way. I think. Mariota's there to be that guy, but ultimately I believe Derek Carr is going to hold down the reins throughout the season, and I think he's going to have a really good season. You know, statistically he was good in 2019, but there's situations. Situational football has got to be a lot better, and I think that's where he's going to look to improve in 2020. Do you think the Raiders did enough on defense, specifically in the back half of the defense? They added uh, multiple players there. Uh, they, they've drafted some folks. They're, they're going to get Jonathan Abram, who looked like a stud before going down early in the season last year. So they get an extra first rounder back there. Uh, they added Nick Kwiatkowski at linebacker, Corey Littleton at linebacker, and some nice rookie seasons from especially Max Crosby coming out of nowhere in the fourth round to be a really good pass rusher there. Arden Key as well, jumping in with first rounder Cleland Farrell from 2019. What, what's the outlook on defense with the Raiders? Well, you know, defense is going to be the key. It really is. And I like that they concentrated and spent a lot of uh, equity and a lot of assets on the defensive side of the ball. You know, a lot of the free agents, like you mentioned, Nick Wachowski, big-time uh, pickup at the linebacker position. Corey Littleton, big-time pickup at the at the linebacker position. That was an area of struggle for the Raiders. I mean, their linebacking core was terrible. They also picked up a couple undrafted free agents that I think are going to be able to, to uh, you know, add some depth to there. And, and not to mention a fourth-round pick in, in Tanner Muse, who is going to be a special team guy but at some point I think he'll get on the field as a linebacker too he's just got that that will to win uh there's a lot of defense that was added uh in the offseason you know Malik Collins coming over from the Cowboys 
Ron Marinelli, that's a guy that a lot of people don't talk about. He comes over as the new defensive line coach from the Cowboys. He goes back to the time with John Gruden in Tampa Bay when they won a Super Bowl. And, yeah, I know that was Tony Dungy's defense that had been constructed uh, there in Tampa Bay. But Rod Marinelli is that old school dude, man. And he knows how to get after it. He knows how to get the most out of his players. So I think the defensive line is going to be a lot better this year. I think that they're all going to have to be on point. If you're not on point, you're not going to be in the game. Cleve Farrell looks like he's in better shape. Uh, he, you know, he gained like 13 pounds of muscle. Max Crosby, uh, sky's the limit for him. He had 10 and a half sacks his rookie year. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about the defense. And my only issue and where I think that the Raiders will struggle the most is with all the new parts on defense, including draft picks and free and free agents that they brought in. How long is it going to take for them to gel? And it goes back to what I said about the offseason. This is not your regular, typical offseason. You have a lot of Zoom meetings, but me and you both know you can't get as much yeah. uh, done by way of Zoom as you can on the grass in actual practice. So I think that that's what the Raiders' biggest hiccup is going to be in 2020, their biggest challenge. Can you get that defense up to speed? If you can get it up to speed and get them clicking on all cylinders and be one cohesive unit, then I think the team's going to be really, really good. So the faster that they can make that happen, the better. In year three under John Gruden, I expect him to make the playoffs. I mean, I do, just because it's year three. And if you're not going to expect the playoffs in year three, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what, 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 what's the plan? You know, and so I'm expecting that. But the AFC West is a dog. And, and you know the Kansas City Chiefs are obviously the cream of the crop. It's going to be a tough division with Denver and the Chargers. And the Raiders are going to have to hope for that extra wild card spot. I don't think Kansas City is going to give up that top spot. But I don't know why, if you're in Las Vegas, you don't say, there's an opportunity at a wild card. You just got to go out there and earn it. Yeah, there's that extra wild card spot. Man, that's tough in the AFC West, though, because you yep. obviously have to deal with the Kansas City Chiefs twice a year. Uh, they're the yep. odds-on favorite to not only win the West, but win the AFC again. Uh, the Chargers have such a great defense. We'll see how that quarterback position pans out for them, and I'm um, interested to see how it all comes together on offense. Some people think they got better addition by subtraction by finally letting uh, Phillip Rivers walk um, and some people think that maybe this is the beginning of the end on offense and they might have to scrap some things there but they can play D got a lot of talent on that side of the ball the Broncos are an up-and-coming team everything depends on how good Drew Locke develops in his second year so it's a tough division you could make some arguments for any of those teams to be in second place you like the Raiders chances though to uh, to be that team that that pushes Kansas City maybe and and uh, they the Raiders are in the playoffs at the end of the year or is that just something where you're thinking okay year three we should be there, but are you convinced that they will be there? You know, I, I do. I think that they have that opportunity. I think that they can make it happen, and the key is going to have to be they can't get swept, obviously, by Kansas City. You mentioned it. you got to face Kansas City twice a year. you got to win one. If you're going to make the playoffs, you got to win one. And the way that the schedule shakes out for the Raiders, week five, they're in Kansas City. That's right before their bye week. I, I have them winning that game. And the reason I do, even though winning in Kansas City is a dog, it's really, really tough. I have them winning that one because the next time they play the, the Chiefs is in Las Vegas, but it's coming off the bye week. And anyone who knows anything about the NFL and Andy Reid, he doesn't lose coming out of the bye week. It just it just doesn't. He wins coming out of Kansas City's bye week every single time. I mean, he's just that stinking good. So I don't put the Raiders' chances to win that game up there really high, even though it's a Las Vegas game. I don't think their fans are going to be in the stands, so I don't think that's going to matter. Uh, I, I think that the Raiders, if they have a chance to beat Kansas City at least once this year, which I do believe they do, it's going to be early on. It'll be week five in Kansas City. That's when it's like, okay, that's your moment. If you're going to be a real deal team, you're going to make the playoffs. You need to go into your bye week with a dub over the Chiefs. That'll be the key to the Raiders season, in my opinion.
And KC might be one of the this, the teams hurt most with no fans because they gain some of the yep. most in the league. I think Seattle, Kansas City, uh, maybe yep. New Orleans, those teams gain the most by a home field advantage. So maybe, yeah, you go into that house with uh, a quiet home with no fans in the seats. Maybe that is the opportunity for uh, the Raiders to flex a little bit of muscle real quick. And we got to go here, Q. MVP of the Las Vegas Raiders in 2020 is... Uh, I'm going to roll with Josh Jacobs. I'm going to roll with the running back second year guy. He had 1,150 yards his rookie year. I think he improves and you'll see an improvement in him being used in the passing game more than he was uh, his rookie year. So Josh Jacobs is my guy. At your boy Q254 on Twitter, you can hear him daily. ESPN Central, Texas, 12 to 3 p.m. And you can hear him daily hosting Locked on Raiders. Fantastic stuff, Q. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for jumping on and co-hosting with me today. Absolutely, man. Have a great weekend. Uh, next time you talk to Matt, tell him your boy said hello as well. <laughs> All right. I will, man. Thanks. All right. Cool. And that ends a fun week of co-hosts here on Locked On NFL. It was a lot of fun. We'll get back to chopping it up with Matt Williamson, who's coming back from vacation Monday right here. Locked On NFL.